0: Welcome to Responding to Life, a podcast hosted by me, Josephine Atlery. Do you ever feel like you could use some guidance when life throws you a curveball? By listening to the narratives in this podcast, you will learn from other people's experiences and responses to challenging situations so you can fast track the learning curve to get ahead in your own life.
1: Welcome to Responding to Life, a journey of health, fertility, and parenthood. In today's episode, I continue on with the story of how I overcame obstacles to eventually create my family of five children, in particular, the road to international adoption in Kazakhstan. With the loss of my twins at 17 weeks still looming over us, and after months of grieving, my husband and I felt it was time to pivot in our plan of attack for creating our family. Our hearts and my body and psyche just could not handle another cycle of IVF. So we filled out adoption paperwork in hopes of a brighter outcome. When moving to this next process of adoption, my mind and soul had to be prepared to manifest a new reality. However, when a person comes to the point of adoption, after having tried to conceive traditionally or via assisted reproductive therapy, there is so much baggage of pain, maybe even loss and grief, and Inadequacy. So in order to move forward, I had to shed the weight of the past so I could manifest what my heart truly desired. To help me facilitate this conversation on pivoting to international adoption is my dear friend of over 10 years, Kimchi Tyler Chen. Kimchi is a veteran storyteller for over several decades in broadcast journalism, documentary styles for families and tech companies in the Bay Area. I know Kimchi through a family friend And upon introduction, we hit it off. Our paths to motherhood have similarities and differences, so I couldn't think of a better person to discuss my journey of adopting my son in Kazakhstan. Thank you for joining me, Kim Chi, and we will dive into the topic of adoption as we both um, went through the beginnings of adoption, and you know had different journeys with it, um, so you had mentioned in a previous episode how you had started your own paperwork for adoption after many miscarriages as you were trying to conceive, and I'd love if you can go into Just, you know, like, was, I don't even remember, was it domestic? Was it international? Like, how did you begin that, that pivot? So
2: once we decided um, to adopt, and it wasn't very difficult, um, you know, uh, it wasn't a very difficult decision on many, many forms. Like one, I'm an adopted child. And I was a older adopted child. You know, I grew up in Vietnam. My mother met an American man and she married him. And by the time they got together and be married, I was already probably three or four. Mm -hmm. And so he immediately took me in and immediately he became my father. And I remember the day I, I said, can I just call you dad? And he was so happy. So my um, journey of adoption was very positive and he's always been my, he was always my positive force. So to me, to this day, he's my father. Earl, well, he was my father. And even though we don't look like each other because he's American and I'm Asian, um, it was always that special bond. So for us to decide to, you know, looking into adoption, And we talked to our family about it. They were very supportive because they've been on my, you know, with me. I'm lucky to be married to a very progressive family where they're very open to those types of conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, And they knew my journey of trying to conceive and not being able to keep my pregnancy. So it was very easy. Um, So, we, you know, we gave up the journey of IVF, started looking to adoption. the different options. And we decided internationally because we wanted a child that sort of looked like us (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and the Asian, um, um, you know, sort of like, you know, my husband's Taiwanese, I'm Vietnamese. So we, we were immediately go, okay, we're going to adopt either Vietnamese or Taiwanese. Mm -hmm. And I had done some research on both and we decided on, um, adopting internationally in the ta- in Taiwan because the policies were a little bit looser um and we just felt more comfortable in terms of um there. So yeah, we chose we chose that and went through the paperwork and using an adoption agency that's in Portland, Oregon.
1: Hmm. okay. How about you? Um we you know when we made the decision that we were Ready to pick up the adoption talk. We went with international because, uh, for domestic, we had heard that, like, the birth mother would have the option of changing her mind at the very end if she wanted. And after having lost the twins, I just knew that I could not. I wasn't emotionally stable enough to have that happen. So that's how we ended up going with international adoption and we found an agency that um some of my husband's coworkers had used with success and it was local and the they had a program they had the usual programs of China, Guatemala, Ethiopia um but they were all as you know they were all super long waits like 2 years plus uh, especially so if you wanted a girl and we were indifferent. We just wanted a newborn uh, or close to a newborn versus an older child. And again, because I had to come to terms with that idea that emotionally I could not at the time handle um, a child that was older that may have gone through the foster system and may have, like some issues with um, attachment and just, I just knew that I couldn't handle what I could and what I couldn't handle. And that was hard to face. But so that's how we ended up um, choosing, you know, the age because you have to choose the age. We were indifferent to sex. And and then it came down to like country. And uh, we ended up going with Kazakhstan because it was the shortest program. And at this point, I was just so impatient. I, I wanted the baby now. And, um, Kazakhstan's weights was between six months to a year, which is unheard of in comparison to other programs. And that was in part due to two things. One, because at the time, Kazakhstan required you to live in the country for three weeks and then either stay, um, for a couple other weeks or the or else return for a week for the legal proceedings. And that just automatically um, takes out a lot of people because adoption is already expensive to begin with, but then having to stop working, like back then when their, you know, like paternal benefits just weren't, weren't as robust as they are now. And so that was one factor that made The program not as popular. And then the other was the fact that it was a blind referral. And so unlike other countries where you had received this dossier of, of the child and possibly some medical history, maybe not, but at least some information about who you are going to, um, meet and possibly have as your child, uh, Kazakhstan did not do that. So all you did was receive a call that you have a match, and it's time for you to go. You have a couple days, maybe a week, to gather your things and then just go. And once you're in the country, then you can, that's when you get the information, you get to meet the child, and then you have a few days to figure out if you accept the referral or not. And you have to piece together whatever limited medical information you get with the help of, this international doctor that you had secured before leaving. And you're doing that in a foreign country and you're just, uh, that was another reason why it was not a popular program. But at this point I felt like, like we had nothing else to, to lose that, that was something that I was willing to risk because I figured if I'm in the country and say the referral is just not a good fit. and But I'm already in the country. So it's not like they're going to make me leave the country. I'm sure that they would. I was being optimistic and thinking that they probably would find me another match since I'm already there. So that was a risk that I was willing to take. And and true enough, um, I think it was definitely between six months to a year that we received a call that we had a match and then it was time to go. And life from, you know, in the beginning, it's like this waiting game, this really long waiting game. And you're thinking about it, right? You're thinking about it. And then life just starts to just flow and it happens. And it's in the back of your mind, but it's not really something active. Not like with the IVF stuff where every injection you get, every doctor's appointment, you have this reminder of what you're trying to do. Here it was weird because I went back to working and event planning and life just kept going and then all of a sudden then I get this call and then life stops and we just got all our stuff and we went out there. So um then we go, go out there and it was crazy because like with, with IVF, because I, I was done like IVF and adoption and surrogacy i have this um, unique perspective of being able to compare all of them and one thing that i've realized as i look back on all of these things and moments is that you know underlying theme with all of them is this loss of control um, with the ivf i'm at the mercy of the doctors i'm at the mercy of science and How my body reacts to the science. Here was completely different because I was at the mercy of not even anymore the adoption agency. It was, I was at the mercy of what was happening in country and I didn't know who these people were and they were speaking in in a foreign language. So, you know, we had our translator and like that was just a whole other level of losing control. And trusting in a process that I was not familiar with. And so, you know, that first week when we got there, like even just, even just from the moment we landed, it was telling of what like the whole experience was going to be like because, you know, when you, you know, as an American, you, You think of like those moments when you're at the airport and you see the people holding up your sign with your name on it and they're going to transport you to wherever you have to go and we're looking for that. We landed in Kazakhstan in the middle of the night and we're so tired and we don't see anyone. We don't see anyone for like a good amount of time. We don't know who to call. We don't have like any way of contacting anyone and we're freaking out. And then, all of a sudden, then like some like burly sort of Russian guy comes up to us and says our last name, and that was it, and then we just go with him in the middle of the night in some random car and drive across um where we landed to where we were going and from that moment on, it was just just this is our blind trust, and it was like just telling of what the whole experience was like over there. It's hard to describe, but that was the start of of that international adoption journey. And like leading up to it, it was, it was very frustrating because I feel like if adoption isn't your first choice, a lot of people come into it with so much baggage, you know, they've gone through, Trying naturally, they've gone through assisted reproductive therapies, they've gone through so many things, right? And they, they come into it already just beaten down and like emotionally scarred and just all this stuff that they come with. And then to go through the motions, I don't know how that was for you, but maybe because of your producer background, you just went through it. But for me, I just felt so bitter about the whole process. Just bitter that I had to take a class, uh, this required class on parenting. Like, bitter that I had to get recommendation letters from friends and family on why I was a decent human being. Like, you didn't have to go through any of this when you were trying to just have a baby. And so with every step of it, I just took along this bitterness with me. This is kind of akin to, like, when, like, back when I was trying to have kids through IVF and I would hear of people either getting pregnant easily or, um, like how easy their pregnancies were and just all that, that, that was, I felt like that was that same feeling, but now this was on a different level and sort of magnified. And so the whole process in the beginning, at least, I just felt so upset about it. And then, and then, like I said, then there's that big waiting period where all of it sort of just dissipates and you just forget about all of that. And then when it's time to actually go there, then it's this whole completely different part of the process. And so being out there, you know, like I'm glad we chose, but I'm always looking on the positive side of things. In retrospect, I love that we actually lived there for three weeks. Um, because now I have something to talk to my son about. And as an adopted, I don't know how, if this is how you felt, but like as an adopted, Child, there's so many questions. I feel like there's so many things that I can't answer for him, but at the very least, at least I could answer what life was like there, where he had spent the beginning part of his first year, where he was, what that was like, what the people were like, who were there. So I have something to like go off of, um, versus just going to the country real quick and, you know, just, having that exchange because it's all done beforehand and, and then being on my way. Um, So, you know, it was, it was crazy because I had never lived outside of the U S prior. I'd always wanted to do like study abroad, never got to. And so this was almost like that experience of like being on this almost study abroad period with my husband and um, some foreign like land. that was a mix of, asian and russian it was just wild wild being out there um but but yeah it was it was great to be able to experience what his home country was like and then you know um the requirement was that we would go to the orphanage just for an hour a day and then after that like we we weren't allowed to to linger for very long because there were other families who had to come in and they could only manage so many people at once. And so for the rest of the day, we were left to our own devices of figuring out where where we were, what the food was like, what the people were like, and it wasn't really a touristy place. So it was a good time for us to also just reconnect to each other Especially after that whole, like, those first two, two and a half years of just those attempts after attempts where I felt like we lost touch with one another almost at times. And so that another was another bright side of the experience is that we had three weeks of just, like, going through this crazy, intense experience and then being able to reconnect. So that was, that was like the Kazakhstan adoption journey in a nutshell. I mean, there were, you know, all these things in between of trying to figure out if we were going to accept and having to communicate back and forth with an international adoption doctor like multiple of them talking to her family, different time zones and feeling so much pressure to have an answer after those first very difficult few days of when we were trying to figure it out. And then it was just great because then we got to connect with him over the next couple of weeks and eventually started to see some, like some emotions, like some smiles here and there, which is great. Um, and then we left. I didn't stay for a couple of weeks. I left to get things in order back at home in New Hampshire and then i went back a couple of weeks later with my dad and we stayed out there for a week and brought him from like the northern part of kazakhstan to the southern part which is where the capital was to finalize everything and um and and that was also great to experience with my dad um Because my dad's always just taking care of me my whole life. And so it was comforting, just almost as comforting as having my husband there, but comforting to have him there. And then just to see like how he interacted with his first grandson. And, and to be honest, my father looks like he's from Kazakhstan. So like going through the town with him was, was, actually kind of funny because everyone would just immediately talk to him in Kazakhstan and he wouldn't have a clue what they were saying. Um, but it was, again, another great experience of like bonding with my dad. And, you know, my parents are old school as are my husbands. And I think they, you know, you said you, you're lucky to have like this progressive family with very understanding of it. I think for our family, there is, a part of it where they were understanding just because we had gone through so much but then another part of them that was apprehensive for what we were going into because no one in our on both sides of the family had ever really done that and they you know they were being protective and they were also you know just worried about what what does this process look like what does this mean and so having my dad come with me and having him just sort of see for himself what was happening and how this was happening i think it was really good that he was able to come because just i don't know just gave him not peace of mind but it gave him an understanding of what this whole adoption process looked like and um i think he really like bonded with our son right from the get-go because he was right there in the thick of it you know um, and then, after a week of being there with my dad, uh we flew back to new Hampshire and the moment we landed, my mother and my husband were waiting for us, and that was it the moment he got there because of all the paperwork, he was a citizen, and that was finally like the point where we were after so long after like three years, became parents and it was just it was just sort of this whirlwind and surreal sort of time. When you look back on it, actually, so um, I know for you, you said that you yourself, you were adopted. Um, I don't know how that process sort of looked like for you, since that was, you knew your mother and then your adopted father and how that all sort of, um, played out for you as you were a young child and, and growing up because I know my experience was my son but it's always interesting to hear from a grown up like what their experience was like
2: A couple of things I want to touch on actually listening to you um, in terms of answering the question of now that I'm as an adult I'm an adult. I was adopted. How was that experience? I am one of the luckiest persons in the world, I think. I feel like my stepfather, who I call my father, don't be confused. He is my father, although he is not by blood my father. Um, it was the best experience ever. I remember when I decided to call him dad. In English, because I didn't speak English when we met, but as we were growing together and I understood a couple of words, I remember specifically asking him, is it okay that I call you daddy? And I remember that look in his face. It was just, he was, he just was so happy. And that mm-hmm. made me so happy, Right. So, um, as a girl and as an overachiever who always wants to take care of people, um, I was a dream child for him, right? Mm. And therefore, he's my dream dad, right? Um, I can't say that my older brother who came into our life later, I mean, our family history is so complicated. It'll take another hour for us to talk about this. But as an older boy, um, and he didn't have that experience, right? Mm. But I, for my father and me, it was always a positive experience. He was the best thing that I've ever had in terms of relationship, positive relationship. I remember growing up in high school and I had already lost my biological mother by that time. And I've always wanted to wear makeup in high school because everybody else was wearing makeup. And I remember him saying, Kim, because that's what he called me. You are so beautiful without any makeup. And I don't understand why you want to wear makeup because I think you're beautiful. And For him to say that, I did feel very beautiful. And i it's very interesting as I think back now that I'm a parent where, no, you cannot wear makeup because I don't allow you. Or the softer way of my dad saying it, you are so beautiful without any makeup. Look at you, your skin, your eyes. It's just so beautiful. I don't understand why you have to wear makeup obviously that didn't stop me, but it made me feel really good. And I Mm -hmm. have to say that I heard it from him and I did feel beautiful, but I wanted to be more beautiful Mm -hmm. because I went to mostly an all white school Mm -hmm. and I wanted to stand out. So that's another podcast for you. But um, (laughs) in terms of my relationship with my father, it was so positive. And I feel like, I'm I don't think I'm an outlier on that, you know, because um you know when it's interesting when you say when you became so bitter having to fill all this paperwork and give everybody additional context. Um, you know, I went through IVF and couldn't keep the pregnancy and we decided to you know to look into adoption because it was easy for us because I was adopted and it was a very positive experience so it wasn't um, something that I had to navigate through and then I had a very progressive family at the time when understood my journey of having trying to have a baby and couldn't keep it they completely understood but honestly <laughs> I say that I have a progressive family at the time they were very uh, progressive but I think that my family is probably like yours who didn't understand but they didn't want to say it right, I have yeah. a feeling that they were at the same time, like ooh, adoption, we don't understand how do we navigate but i did I think what's great about them is they didn't want me to help them navigate. They were like, Oh, that sounds great, Taiwan, we're Taiwanese, you know mm-hmm. um, so what's interesting that when I'm listening to you, what speaks out to me was I also became very angry during the mm-hmm adoption process because I was like damn it people just had babies and Mm -hmm. I have to go through this interviewing process I had Mm -hmm. to have a social worker come into my house look at my room looking at my daily process looking at the asking really invasive questions about my relationship and I was like so angry I was like how come people who can just have babies can just go through this? And there are a lot of bad parents out there. And I have to prove that I can right. be a good parent because I can't produce a child from my body, right? So I too was going through that bitter and anguish. And the fact that I have to ask for letters of recommendation. No. I, oh my That's- gosh, this is insane. But at the time I truly believed that if every parent natural or adoption should go through this process because it really helped me understood what it takes to be a parent actually it was an education because Mm. yeah they have to make sure you have enough money the means the house the very healthy environment healthy family how about your in-laws do you get along I'm like oh I love my sister-in-laws you know stuff like that and then asking for recommendation, I didn't when I was trying to get pregnant, I didn't have to ask anybody. Should I get knocked up and have a baby? You know, I didn't have to ask any of that. So I was very resentful, and and the fact that the people who didn't responded to my to my request right away, oh. my time, I was livid. Oh, I was <laughs> like. Sure. I asked you that a week ago and you know how important it was to me why didn't you write me a new letter?
1: <laughs> I would be livid too.
2: <laughs> Seriously. I I feel like it's very interesting you brought up and you brought me back to that space when I was very resentful to. Are you really my friend? Mm. But honestly, when people who just have babies naturally, they don't have to go through that. And yeah. I, I'm not saying that they're bad people. I'm just saying it is an education that we all need parents to be. Just like when you get married, you gotta make sure who you're marrying and you go to church. You know, some people go to church and I think yes. under the Catholic teaching, uh-huh, you have to right. talk about it. You have to get, you, you have to, you have yeah. to go through some process. <laughs> so a big learning experience for me but then you know um for us as we were going through it and as I was going through all these different emotions that I didn't know I have anger anguish <laughs> loneliness um resentful of my friends who I thought were was my friends and my family how can you not just immediately sit down your takes you 10 minutes to write a recommendation because you tell me yeah you love me well then put it down in words because I need this child (laughs) right so it's very interesting but um for us so we went through all of that and then I got pregnant and then I kept the pregnancy but I we we continued the journey because for the past um we never kept the pregnancy but you know every doctor's visit it was the moving object in my belly and I was like oh that thing is swimming oh <laughs> my like, and we never really see it as a person because we had so right. see. we're like oh look at that and I saw this little thing bouncing around in my uterus and so we never stopped it and then um and then it grew and it grew and and so when we knew that he was going to be determined in my belly we let the adoption agent and we knew the process we knew that we were gonna at the phone call you gotta get on the plane and jump your asses to Taiwan and live there for three weeks and getting to know the culture and we weren't worried about that at all because we already knew the Taiwanese culture and that was why we chose an Asian country versus elsewhere because we already know the culture we did I didn't know the language but the family did. So there are so many things that, like you, trying to simplify and try to get this baby. Because I want this mm-hmm. baby. You know what I mean? Right. I lost so many babies. I want this right. baby. I want it now. I want it through recommendations. I want it through social work. i <laughs> I want it now. How much do you need? Oh, $10,000? Yes. Yeah. Boom. Done. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I was going through that process. Um, so... When we knew that our child was going to be going, you know, going through term, I don't, I don't know if that's the right term, but, but at, you know, at certain weeks, we knew that we're going to have a child, that nothing is going to go wrong, that we're going to have this child. We let the um, adoption agency know that, and we were, we were a little bit, I would say hesitant because we're like, wouldn't it be fun to have two babies <laughs> our child and the adopted child oh yeah we could totally naively take our newborn if we get that phone call and totally go to taiwan and live three weeks there within a crazy environment i mean I, we didn't think of it that way but we thought of it like oh yeah let's do it because we're naive we didn't yeah. know what it mean, meant to have a newborn And of course, we talked it through, and we're like, you know, it's from integrity that we should let them know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. even though we want two children at the same time. um, Maybe we should. So as soon as we let them know, and they was like, we we can't allow uh, Mm -hmm. an adopted baby and a natural born baby. It's too much stress for you. And so we're going to put you on hold. We were on the wait list, actually. We mm. were on the wait list and we were so excited about it because we didn't want, we didn't know what was going to happen to my pregnancy. So we were on the wait list. We knew that we had to get on the plane, spend three weeks there, get into another culture. Everything is going to be last minute. And, you know, all the paperwork. We just knew that what you said. It was like craziness. It was like, once you get the phone call, you got a whole ass. You got to make mm-hmm. sure everything's ready. You don't even know who your support group is, but you got a whole ass, right? We want this baby. We want right. the baby. So when we let them know, um, they said, you know, we're going to take you off the wait list and you have to wait two years. And we're like, Oh
1: man, we oh. waited so
2: long. We waited so long to be on the waitlist. It wasn't that long, honestly. Everything was exaggerated because we want the baby. We want the baby. (laughs) So it was pretty fast for us to get on the waitlist. If you can get on the waitlist, it could be a year, it could be two years. So we knew that. When we told them, they said, we have to wait two years. It was indefinite. It was like, you have to wait two years. And then for me to do the math as a producer that I am my back time, I'm like, all right, we're taking off the list. Our child would have to be a year old. And then we probably will have that conversation. And then we'll get back on the list. And that was our plan the whole time. Mm -hmm. So what stopped us from getting back on the wait list And I'm not sure how I feel about it to this day. I still feel like, I don't know. I don't know how I feel. But we stopped it because, first of all, having a newborn was so difficult in terms of role clarity. (laughs) All of a sudden, it's all on me. (laughs) Breastfeeding, up in the middle of the night, I became this crazy mama who's like, what's your role in this? You got me knocked up. And I'm like, my boob, this child who didn't even know how to latch on, and he <laughs> and you know I have a, a husband who's like, it's your job now, you know. So I all these little things. You know, instead of being angry at my friends for not writing the letters quickly and you know all that paperwork, I'm now all my frustration and anger went into my husband. <laughs> <laughs> so then I saw. Having, I, now I get it. I get it when they say, we, we gotta wait two years till right. you recover as a newborn, you know. And so by the time that we got to that moment, I decided that I'm gonna go back to work full time. And, um, and I, because of all the education, I'm not sure if this is where I'm like so insecure about my decision making. Of all the schooling, remember, Josephine was like, "You must have, you must have that baby in your bed. You must sleep with that child or with that baby. You must bond because that baby wasn't in your body. So you must do this. You must, you know, spend twenty four seven with this child with this baby. You must work the bond because if mm-hmm. you don't bond, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. you you have this." I don't know kind of relationship because right. it's not the natural child where he or she grew up in your body and the bond is there and he came out of your body. And then, you know, the, the advice was like, leave him or her naked. Let him find your boob. That's the bonding. So you have all these conflicting messaging of well I was reading it, The way I interpret, oh my god, I'm going back to work. It's full time. I'm not gonna be able to lie Mm. in bed with this child all day. (laughs) Oh everyone. So then I I felt that it was unfair because I had these moments with my first child, with my child, where I was able to take walks in the park and let him fall asleep in my lap. All those beautiful moments that you think of bonding, and then Mm -hmm. I think of those lessons again. I'm like, do I want to go back because I'm gonna be working 40 hours a week and I'm not sure. And I don't want to, I don't want this child who is not from my body to feel a one bit of less love, less Mm -hmm. time. So we decided not to, and I'm not sure if that was the right decision to tell you the truth
0: hmm.
2: so
1: back to you obviously it was, well was well intentioned i totally get where your your thought process though i do i do because i remember now as you brought that up like all of that stuff that i read about how to bond with you i mean it was a big deal Like the the part of the class was even that we had to take. It was on how to, to develop that relationship. And yeah, so I get, I get where you're coming from. And, and
2: and I come from a place where, you know, when I was talked about my anger went toward my husband because role clarity wasn't defined when it comes to mother and father. It's mostly on the mother because I have to breastfeed. I have to, I'm the, I'm, I'm, I'm the cow. <laughs> I'm the, I'm the one with the milk, right? So, um, but I think at the time, um, I made the decision because I saw it was all on me and all mm. on me means I have to raise my child, my baby still. He was 17 months when I decided to go back to work. And I also have to raise my new, you know, my other child who is a year old and needs so much mommy. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it, and I saw it myself as being alone, and I, that's why I think maybe that wasn't the right decision, because had I, going back to our conversation about reaching out for help, had I been a little bit more vocal about, mm. dude, right, you, your role is in this too, you know. If I go to work, <laughs> you go to work, you gotta work at home, right? But I wasn't in that place where I can say that. And that's just not my personality. Because my personality is take care of everybody. Oh, everyone. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So that's why I say to myself, is that a mistake? Because I feel mm-hmm. like my child now would love to have a sibling. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm going to have to carry that. That one. Yeah.
1: Great. <laughs> <laughs> uh. No, I had that same feeling once we finally had once and finally had a child of just having to take care of the whole thing. Even when you're tired, you just feel like that is my role. And you know, I think a part of me it stemmed from all those years of trying, I feel like, that this is what I had been wanting for so long that now I finally had it, so I had to put everything into it i mean this is what all that work was for what it what was it for if i'm going to outsource this and outsource that and you know so i i just pushed through it even though many times i should have asked for help definitely and
2: i was in that same space it's like kimchi you wanted this mm-hmm. you have to carry it diaper changing breastfeeding washing the bottles diaper changing playing reading you know like I was like you're the one who wanted this Mm -hmm. but little you know on hindsight obviously it's so easy when you have you step back from it and go he wanted it too and had I recognized that earlier and Mm -hmm. asked for help earlier I wouldn't have been so resentful and thinking it's all on me and we're in this together. And I think that brings us back to that conversation that I had with him after part of my uterus was taken away and it was so painful. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't as painful as it was more emotionally pain, painful mm-hmm. because a piece right. of me left. It was like a symbol, a symbol oh, yeah. of a failure, a piece mm-hmm. of me left. And therefore it tells me that I'm unfit, <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. not capable, I'm unable, I'm all this thing that wiped out all the accomplishments I had before. Um, but that conversation of you're still that same person, and I will love you for whatever, whether it's an adopted child or a natural child, you know, natural birth or biological thought, you're still that same person. So somewhere around the road, I lost that again. And again, it's like once you recognize it, it doesn't mean insecurity won't come back it comes back all the time and I think that's when when I decided not to move forward and it was on me and mm-hmm. I still resent that if he really wanted it, he should have insisted and I would have <laughs> moved forward
1: again yeah.
0: yeah
2: perception again it's like it's on me but I don't have to have it about me I should have asked the question honey do you want another child And I'm pretty sure he gave me a pretty good answer, but again, it was up to me because at the time, how I interpreted it was all on me. I can't, homie, don't play that (laughs) again. (laughs) You know, I don't, it's silly thinking, but yeah, I, I was with you. You asked for this, therefore you carry it by yourself.
1: (laughs) It's crazy how you end up thinking about life, about yourself, about everything when you're stuck in that, in that cycle. That's what it was. It was just sort of this never ending cycle of just trying to just get through and then just getting it done no matter what. You know? Well, I,
2: I also think that society plays a big role in how women think about ourselves as mom career and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like, you can do it all. You can't do it all. I'm sorry. I'm convinced that you can't do it all. You need help. But it's really up to you to recognize that and call for help. Ask Mm -hmm. for help.
1: Right. 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 Yeah. 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 I mean, there's definitely that piece to it. Isn't it Michelle Obama who said, you can have it all, but you can't have it all at the same time. And you you have to pick at that time. Um, but I'm glad that your story, a happy ending with your child and, you know, I'm a big all happens something's it's supposed to happen like that is just, I'm a big believer of taking lessons from everything, no matter how difficult that journey is, because that's, for me, that's a way to process what I'm going through either at the time or in retrospect. Um I always have to find like that silver lining, that joy through all of that adversity um somehow. And so I'm happy that you have this beautiful family, that it all worked out. Um, and so thank you for having like these two Tough conversations about first, you know, miscarriages and loss and, and then going through like this very frustrating adoption process and what that was like to really appreciate, you know, how candid you were. And, and like you said at the very beginning, we never really like, even as friends, we never really delved into the meat of what was happening. Um, even though we both knew like what was sort of happening to one another at some point, um funny how long it's taken, and that a podcast had to bring it out. but I'm glad that it did, and this is a fantastic storyteller and I'm glad to have had this conversation with you so thank you, Kimchi for joining me well
2: thank well, thank you for inviting me um I just think you brought a, you brought back a whole bunch of memories that i've I haven't thought about and I appreciate it you know in terms of all the emotional roller coaster I went through of had, trying to have a child and trying to be a good mom and good wife and a good career woman um person and it's interesting that we took we put a lot of pressure on ourselves and um and we don't ask for help or at least for me anyway. I mean, my, my latest mantra is like, it's time to ask for help and go for it. You know, allow, forgive yourself, allow yourself to ask for help because we're not (laughs) superhumans, although we like to think we are, but we can be if we ask for help. And it does take a village.
1: Thank you for coming here today and joining me. It was really great talking to you. Cool. Have a good week. You too. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, Kimchi. The adoption process can be very frustrating and upsetting, especially when you've already tried for so long to get pregnant traditionally or via assisted reproductive therapy. Then to do all the paperwork, take parenting classes, and endure a long wait. It can be very taxing on one's emotions. Similar to the IVF process with international adoption, we had very little control over most aspects of the procedure. International adoption and the in-country experience can be a very vulnerable time where a person is at the mercy of strangers in an often confusing process with likely a language barrier to further complicate matters. Your sense of control over the situation is completely lost and you feel helpless and alone. The most important thing to remember in one's fertility and family creation journey or in anything in life is to acknowledge and accept things you cannot change or control and then let those things go. Never feel bad about the emotions that come up with this realization and process. An integral part of moving on is feeling all of the emotions so you can reclaim your peace. And at the end of the process, release those feelings so they don't weigh you down and prevent you from living and from manifesting your dreams. Thank you for taking the time to listen to today's podcast episode on pivoting in one's journey and moving to international adoption. Whether you are in the midst of your family creation journey or just trying to respond to life in a positive and mindful way, please be sure to check out the other episodes on my fertility story as well as the stories of my special guests and their own adversities in life. To help you navigate with calm and positivity, join me every Wednesday this summer for a free 15-minute meditation live on Zoom at 1.30 p.m. PST. To receive the link, sign up for my newsletter on my site, jayatlurie.com. I look forward to sharing more stories with you real soon.
0: Thank you for listening to Responding to Life, a podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, and would like to receive a bi-monthly newsletter with an exclusive and free video meditation, along with wellness tips and deals, please go to www.respondingtolifepodcast.com and sign up for the newsletter by entering your email address in the pop-up box. In there, you'll also learn my seven-step process on how to meditate like a pro so you can stress less and live more joyfully. If you enjoyed the show, I invite you to share it with your friends and leave a rating and review on whatever podcast outlet you use. I look forward to sharing another inspirational story with you real soon.